If you're new with us here, my name is Pete, and I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor, and we're just honored and excited to have you joining us here today as we are in this series that we're wrapping up today called Timeless, where we're kind of taking a look and talking about how we live in a culture that is pretty obsessed with trends. And there's trends in just about every area of life. There are fashion trends, and I know I get a lot of ridicule from some of you who like to poke fun and, uh, of my ripped jeans or, or my skinny jeans, and fashion trends come and go. I like to try to stay up on them. Uh, I'm sure it'll be something different next year. There's also business trends. There are food trends. I love food trends. I like to always keep up with new restaurants that are opening up in the city and try different things out. My favorite restaurant that uh, my wife and I have been to since we've moved back to Buffalo is called um, The Dapper Goose. If you've not been there, you need to try it. It's on Amherst Street. It is so yummy. All right. It's not cheap, but if you're looking for a great place to take your spouse or, or go on a date, uh, just check out a great restaurant. It is awesome to go there. And also this week, I tried with some friends uh, a Cajun Creole restaurant called Shango. So if you like Cajun food, you've got to check out Shango on Main Street in Williamsville. It is so delicious. So there's food trends and there's technology trends too. And um, when it comes to technology, how many of you remember what this is? Anybody recognize this? Those of you who are maybe under 20 probably have no idea that this is an iPod, okay? This is actually a fifth-generation iPod, and uh, I tried to get my hands on a first-generation one, uh, but I didn't buy one until this one came out, and I didn't want to try to buy one on eBay. But this is where you stored all your music digitally, okay? As we started moving away from cassette tapes and then CDs, they started putting music in digital format and MP3, and people could keep all of their music with them on this iPod, all right? And this was hot technology when it first came out, because the fifth generation one, this I bought in 2006 for my wife, was the first one that had video capabilities. So you could not only listen to music, but you could also watch videos and movies, this was hot technology, uh, but it was just that. It was for songs and videos. It was not a phone, all right, because I actually found in the archives and storage at home um, what my phone was in 2006. How many of you had a phone like this? This is an LG VX8300 clamshell flip phone. This is when phones were really cool, okay? Uh, this is when they were trying to make phones as small as possible. Nowadays, they're trying to make them bigger and bigger. You know, the screen size is what it's all about. But uh, there were no apps on this. And to text, some of you may not even know this again if you're younger, but you had to use what was called T9 texting. And that's because there was, you know, there's three, no or three letters on every single number of the keyboard. And so if you wanted to text a word, okay, so if it started with C, the number two is the third letter. So you had to go 222 to get a C. And then it was DD to get an E. You know, and so texting took forever, and so many people didn't send long text messages because it was just too much of a pain in the butt. So this was 2006, and this was hot technology, but as you know, trends changed. The very next year, in 2007, the very first iPhone was released, all right? And that revolutionized the cell phone world. All right, you basically now had a personal computer in your pocket. It took the iPod and the cell phone and made the two have a baby. That's basically what the iPhone was. You could store all of your music onto your phone and listen to it anywhere you wanted to go. You could access the internet. You could do whatever you wanted to do with the iPhone. But 
This happens with technology, doesn't it? Technology trends change overnight. In fact, how many of you here today would say that the phone you have right now is outdated? I'm lifting my hand up because I don't like my phone anymore. I've got an iPhone 6S, and I just saw the, the ads come out this week that they are now releasing the iPhone 8, and in honor of the 10th anniversary of the iPhone, the iPhone 10. All right, I'm stoked about this. I've been dropping hints to my wife all week to see if she'll let me get the iPhone 10 because this is old news, right? And it's impossible. It's really hard to keep up with the trends, especially when it comes to technology. But the reason we're doing this series called Timeless, and listen, it's, there's nothing wrong with you know, trying to keep up with the current trends. There's nothing wrong with you know, trying to have all of the latest gadgets. We're not here to rally against any of that. But what we are trying to do, the reason we're doing this series is because there are things in life that do stand the test of time. There are things in life that impact not only today, but tomorrow and forever as well. And we don't want to make the mistake of sacrificing the timeless for the trendy. Because at the end of the day, the bottom line of, the, of this series is that in a trendy world, the best things in life are timeless. In a trendy world, the best things in life are timeless. There are some things in life that will always look good on you no matter what the trends are. And I'm not talking about clothing, but I'm talking about certain traits that are timeless. There are some things in this life that will never go out of style. And with trends that are changing at an increasingly rapid rate, it's in all of our best interest to sort of refocus and reposition our lives in a way that we can stay focused on the timeless things as we pursue the trendy. And so to recap the series, in case you missed any of the weeks of it, Pastor Lauren kicked things off in week one talking about heaven. And we asked this question, what does heaven look like? And why does that even matter to us today? And we learned that heaven is not only relevant for the future, but it is just as relevant for our lives today. Because as long as heaven remains this distant, cloudy, foggy thing in our hearts and in our minds, then the cares of this world will remain large and in charge. And so we learned that as long as heaven remains trivialized, as long as we don't pay attention to it or don't give it its place, then our lives are going to be marginalized. And I don't want a marginal life. I don't want you to have a marginal life. I want your life to count, and so heaven matters. And then in week two, he talked about one of the most significant ways you can impact your life, not only for the future and for heaven, but also in the here and now by talking about tithes and offerings. And when it comes to the culture we live in and when it comes to financial investments, we all want a great ROI, a return on investment. And yet, whenever we invest money, we always hear this little caveat that says, you know, past performance is not an indicator of future results, right? And so Pastor Lauren presented the greatest financial advice that you could ever be given, advice that has a strong history of past success. And in this case, past performance is an indicator of future success, even greater results. And the reason it's the greatest advice you can ever get is because it affects your life not only today, but for tomorrow and forever as well. And this timeless financial advice that he gave all of you in week two was that when you become a caretaker in God's kingdom by prioritizing the tithe and giving God first what's due him, then he becomes the caretaker of your life. And I don't know about you, but I want God to be the caretaker of my kingdom, right? When you become a caretaker in his kingdom, then he becomes the caretaker of your kingdom. 
And then last week, we got to hear our Kids Life director, Sarah Grice, on Moving Up Day, as she you know, did an excellent job presenting the core values of our Kids Life ministry, trying to take advantage of the few and precious moments we have to make an impression and an impact on your kids' lives while they're in our care, while you're here at Life Church Buffalo, because we learned that how we spend our time matters. I then followed that up by really challenging the whole church to you know, step up, to move up on moving up day and embrace your role as together, as a church, we carry out the mission that God has given us to reach every person with a demonstration of Christ and his kingdom. Because we have a short amount of time here on this earth. And what we do with the time we have determines where we spend eternity and how we spend eternity and the reward we'll get when we get there. And so that's what we learned last week. And so today... We're going to talk about another timeless trait as we wrap this series up. It's a trait that has the potential to not only change your life, but the lives of your family tree. Today, we're going to talk about something that has quite possibly plagued your family tree and lineage for a very long time, maybe even generations. And beginning today, I believe that many of you are going to take a step to change that. I'm so glad that all of you came here today because what we're going to talk about is one of the most important lessons that you will ever hear. And if you apply what you hear today, it will have a significant impact in your life and in the lives of those that you love. Here's what I'm gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk about financial freedom. And I know everyone is like, yes, we get to hear about money in church. Maybe not. I'm not sure what you think about or what you feel when you hear the words financial freedom. Maybe you feel so far behind and buried in debt that the words financially free doesn't even compute with you. It seems like an impossibility. Maybe you feel pressure when you hear the words financial freedom. Maybe you're confused at why a church would want to take a Sunday morning and talk about that in church. But financial freedom is one of the most important topics that we can talk about as a church because financial bondage wreaks havoc in so many people's lives lives. You know, I discovered in preparing for this message that Americans owe over $733 billion in credit card debt. That's an insane figure. And the average American, get this, owes over $15,000 of credit card debt, many of them not having any clue of the exorbitant interest rates they're being charged either. And this eats away at their financial future. And listen, it's not just about the money either. It eats away at their peace of mind. It creates stress. It affects our health. It affects our relationships. It's no surprise that financial problems is still the number one cause for divorce in our country today. And so it matters. And so I say all of that to say this. Our church wants you to experience financial freedom. And more importantly, I believe your heavenly father wants you to experience financial freedom. Because when you experience financial freedom, it not only helps your life today, but it frees you up to impact future generations in your own family and even beyond. So financial freedom is timeless, and that's why we're talking about it today. Now, before we go any further, I want to pause here and just say this, because I understand that there is a lot of understandable skepticism that people have when it comes to preachers that talk about money. And so maybe you grew up in a church where it seemed to be that the the preacher always put a lot of pressure on people to give more money to the church 
Or maybe you've seen evangelists on television, you know, trying to manipulate people to giving money towards their ministry or whatever. And so I get it. I I totally understand. But as a result, maybe, you know, you come from those experiences and and maybe those experiences have caused you to think or, or maybe even say this or maybe you've heard somebody say this before. I won't ask for a show of hands. How many of you have said, the church just wants my money? That is one of the biggest sentiments that I've heard from people when churches talk about money. Oh, there we go again. Preacher's talking about money. Church just wants my money. Again, I understand. But to me, isn't it interesting that no one says this about credit card companies or about mortgage companies or businesses? I'm not saying anything critical about those companies, but I'm just making the point that no one ever says, well, Home Depot just wants my money. And yet, in an ironic twist of fate, the one organization on the planet that wants to help you the most with your finances is the one that's most often criticized as the one you can't trust. And I understand because, like you, I cringe sometimes. I have a visceral, physical reaction when I see or hear certain televangelists using manipulative tactics to try and get people to give money. I understand the church hasn't done itself any favors when it comes to eliciting the trust of the people that they're called to lead and pastor and shepherd. But here's what I want you to understand today as I dive into this topic of financial freedom. As it relates to our church, as it relates to Life Church Buffalo, the bottom line for today is that our church doesn't want something from you. We want something for you. As your pastor, I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I want you to experience the fullness of God's blessings in your life. So the goal of today is to inspire all of you to take a step towards financial freedom. And to accomplish this, we're going to talk about one primary principle from the Bible. It's both important and it's simple. In fact, it's only half of a verse. It's both important and simple. And and I say simple, but it's not easy, okay? It's It's simple, but it's not easy. And as you're about to see, this is where the church comes in, okay? What I want us all to understand is that the devastating impact of the truth we're about to read about, the seven words that we're going to read from Proverbs, has had a devastating impact on so many people's lives, and that's the bad news. But the good news today is that it doesn't have to be true for you or for your family if you apply, if you're willing to take a step today and apply what you hear. Today is a step towards freedom for many of you. So the seven words that I want to present to you today found in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, are this. The last half of that verse says, the borrower is slave to the lender. The borrower is slave to the lender. And I know this to be true from firsthand experience in my own life. I'm going to become pretty transparent and vulnerable with you because many of you might, you know, sit there and say, well, this is easy for preachers and pastors to talk about. You might feel like, you know, I, I don't want you to feel like I'm preaching at you because this is a part of my journey and my experience as I've grown in my own trust in, in the Lord and entrusting my finances to him. Because when Kelly and I got married, so listen, I grew up in the church. I was raised by Christian parents, always taught to tithe. That was never a principle I struggled with. But I was never really taught how to manage money well. And so when we got married, Kelly was completely debt-free. I was not. 
And so when we started out our marriage, we started out to the tune of almost $40,000 of consumer debt. Putting that out there, I feel a little bit vulnerable and exposed right now, but I want you to understand that I'm learning the principles that I'm talking to you about because, you know, when I, was, when I became an adult and, you know, was able to get credit cards, if I wanted something, I bought it. If I didn't have the money, I swiped. I didn't take into consideration the advice that Dora gives on Dora the Explorer. Swipe or no swiping. I was swiping away, okay? Swipe or no swiping. I swiped a lot, and I took out loans. And when we got married, like I said, it was almost $40,000 of consumer debt. And so Kelly and I began to, you know, try to put a plan in place to try to climb out of this seemingly bottomless pit that we were in. But it says that you become a slave to the lender. And, you know, we would all agree that slavery is evil. Our country, our world has a dark history with slavery, and we know that when we subjugate humans for our own purposes, for labor or whatever it might be, that is slavery, and we denounce it. It's evil. It's from the pit of hell, and yet there's Christians all around America and the world today that are content to live in financial slavery. The borrower is slave to the lender. My wife and I were enslaved to our creditors. It kept us from being able to dream about our future. And so I just want to kind of leave that there as a backdrop for you as we get into the rest of this message, because I'll share a little bit more about how God has taught us and what we've been able to apply to our lives. But it enslaved us. I've experienced this firsthand. I love what Dave Ramsey says about this, you know, um, when it comes to being in debt. He says, act your wage. We're familiar with the saying, act your age. You know, but he says, act your wage. So many people act like they make this much money when they actually make this much money. And if more people acted their wage, they wouldn't be in the trouble that they're in today and living within their means. He says, act your wage. So you can't, the the default response, I think, that so many Christians have when it comes to being enslaved or in financial, you know, constraints or being in debt is that they just start praying. I need you to do a miracle in my life. I need you to help me win the lottery so I can pay off all of these creditors. Send a big check in the mail that I didn't know about. And so we want God to do a miracle for us, but I want you to understand today that you can't pray your way out of a financial mess. You can't. You have to pray and act your way out of a financial mess. It requires action on your part. And there's another ingredient that I think is important for us to understand and employ if we're going to get out of debt, and that's that you need to get angry. That's right, I said angry, and maybe some of you are thinking, well, wait, pastor, I thought we're not supposed to get angry. No, in this case, I think it requires a little bit of righteous indignation. I know that's an old school term, but I want you to get tired of being charged exorbitant interest rates. I want you to get ticked off at being a slave to someone that you owe money to because no one deserves to be your God but God. Nobody does. And yet the borrower is slave to the lender. But God stands ready to help. But are you tired enough and angry enough to do something about it? Because this isn't going to be easy. But it can be simple. So trust me on this. We are here to help. It won't be fixed in a day. Your problems financially didn't happen overnight. It took many years to develop, and it may take years to fix. But if you stick to a plan, it can happen. 
And I believe that when God sees you taking steps and taking responsibility for your current financial situation and moving towards financial freedom, that's when he steps in and provides supernatural assistance. And we as a church, as his church, are here to help you as well. Why? Because we don't want something from you. We want something for you. And so this is going to require something of you if you're going to move towards financial freedom. And what it's going to require of you is a plan. It's a plan. And I'm going to present that plan to you. And it may sound simplistic, and maybe it is a little bit overly simplistic. There's a lot more involved with it. But quite simply, here's what the plan looks like. You need to give. You need to, or I'm sorry, give, then save, then live. Give, save, live. Give 10%, save 10%, and then live on the rest. Now, this is a long-term plan, and it might take you a while to get there, but you can get there. And I know that as soon as some of you hear those words give, and they're like, well, why does he talk about giving first? There it is, see? And and you think that's impossible because the pushback I always hear in response to the call to give is, well, if I just had more money, then I would give more. That I discovered were pretty surprising and may be surprising to you as well, but I want to put a chart up on the screen that shows annual income levels, all right? Some people make less than $25,000 a year. Some people make between $25,000 and $50,000 a year, so on and so forth. There's various brackets of income, and so this theory that if you make more, you give more would show that as income levels go up, the percentage of giving towards charity would go up as well. So let's see what I discovered. People that made less than $25,000 a year gave 7.7% of their income to charity. People that made between $25,000 and $50,000 a year gave 4.8%, dropped almost 3%. Let's keep going. Those that earned between $50,000 and $75,000 a year gave 3.5%. Between $75,000 and $100,000 a year gave 3%. Those that made between $100,000 and $200,000 a year, now that's a pretty good living, gave a paltry 2.6% of their income to charity. And those that earned over $200,000 a year, there was a slight uptick from 2.6% to 2.8%. So while the theory that when I make more, I'll give more sounds reasonable and sounds right, the reality and the data shows the opposite, that the more money people make, the less they actually give. And why is that? Because we're not prioritizing giving. The more money we make, the more money we spend on ourselves. Our standard of living goes up when we make more money. We've got to buy nicer cars and nicer homes and nicer clothes because we've got to keep up with the Joneses. And so when we make more money, we don't give more money because we're not prioritizing giving. We're giving the leftovers. And Pastor Lauren illustrated that beautifully a couple weeks ago with the pies. You guys remember that with the pies? Because we start out doling out our income pie to our obligations like the mortgage company and the utility companies and groceries and our kids and all of those other responsibilities. And then if we have anything left, then we'll think about what we want to give to the church or towards charity. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, what we all need to understand is that God isn't satisfied with our leftovers. The tithe is not just a tenth. The tithe is the first 10%. It's the first fruits. And so it takes faith to to live over here in this other pie where we cut the first slice out, the first 10%, and give that to God, and then we begin paying out 
our other obligations. But we've got to prioritize giving. God has made it perfectly clear that he wants to bless you financially and grow your faith at the same time, but he requires our first fruits. And if your approach to giving is just bringing the leftovers, then that clearly illustrates that our trust is in our resources and not in him. He wants us to trust in him. And so getting back to our plan of give 10%, save 10%, and then live on the rest, again, this is a long-term plan. And it might take you a while to get there, but you can get there. But you're going to need some help getting there. And this is why, as a church, we've offered for the last several years, twice a year, Financial Peace University. Now, I know that FPU started this past Monday, but what I want you all to understand today is that it is not too late to join. You can still join. And so I wanted to show you a video today that illustrates a little bit more about what Financial Peace University is all about. So take a look at this. What would happen if the people of God started handling money God's ways? You work too hard to get to the end of your life and have nothing to show for it. This is my family's legacy that I'm talking about here. I've got to have a plan and be focused. That knowledge that you pass down to your kids, that is how you change a family tree. You change your life when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you have that moment where you say, I've had it. I'm not going to live like this anymore. Financial Peace University helps you develop a plan to get out of debt. And that's why we offer it as a church. It would be easier for us to not do this. The time and the resources that it takes would be easier for us to not do this. But that's why, again, we don't want something from you. We want something for you. I found it interesting that the average family, after completing Financial Peace University, pays off $5,300 of debt within the first 90 days and also saves $2,700 in that same time frame. How many of you could afford to pay off over five grand in debt and save almost $3,000 in three months? I could. Financial Peace University helps you accomplish that. It helps give you a plan, and it's going to take a plan and a determined spirit to stick to that plan. Why is a plan so important? Because the writer of Proverbs says this in Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. The plans of the diligent lead to profit. Financial freedom requires a plan. It won't happen by accident. You've got to be intentional about it. You've got to sign up. If all that you do in response to this message today, I want every single person who's not already been through Financial Peace University, regardless of what your financial picture looks like, to give this a shot, to make the investment of time for the next eight Mondays for an hour and a half, to sign up at lifechurchbuffalo.com forward slash FPU, easier yet, to stop at the information table on your way out. Our volunteers will help you get signed up. But show up tomorrow night, even if you don't sign up, show up. Okay, we want you to do both, sign up and show up. But if you only do one of those two things, show up tomorrow night for FPU, 
and learn how to gain a plan to move towards financial freedom. It's worth the investment. And if you won't do it for yourself, for goodness sakes, do it for your family. Do it for your kids. Okay, you won't regret it, I promise. Now, before we close, I just want to quickly talk to those of you who might already be living in and experiencing financial freedom. There's a small minority of people that do, but there are some that have learned how to honor God with the first fruits and apply the principles found in his word for how to manage our personal finances. And if that's you and you have no consumer debt and you are tithing and you want to, you know, figure out how you can help us as a church, then I would encourage you to talk to Pastor Lorne about maybe becoming a financial coach. Maybe you've never looked at your financial experience and expertise as ministry, but trust me when I tell you that if you can use your experience and expertise to help others get out of debt and become better stewards of the resources that God has entrusted to them so that they can be, you know, uh, caretakers of God's kingdom, that is ministry. And so if you have a heart to help other people experience financial freedom, then find Pastor Lauren, talk to him, and we could talk about what that looks like and maybe become a financial coach to help others. So in conclusion, I want to just get back to something, okay? This phone here from 2006, my flip phone, which looks a lot different than my phone today, you know, it's not, again, there's nothing wrong with chasing the latest trends, but there is something wrong if chasing the latest trends puts you into financial bondage. The borrower is slave to the lender. And financial freedom is something that your heavenly father wants for you. And when you experience financial freedom, it leads to incredible value in your life, both now and forever. In your family and in your kids and in generations to come, financial freedom is timeless. And again, if you don't do this for yourself, do it for your family, but you're going to have to fight for it. This isn't going to come easy. You've got to be determined, but your heavenly father stands ready to fight with you and to fight for you. And as your church family, we stand ready to fight with you and to fight for you. I want to close with a little bit more of my own personal journey in this area and and share how God has taught me some of these principles myself when it comes to implementing a plan so that we can move towards financial freedom. So, You know, little by little, we started paying off some debt. But then when we moved to Columbus about five years ago, uh, our plan was that uh, Kelly would resume her photography business in Columbus like she had been doing here in Buffalo. She had built a pretty successful photography business while we lived here before we moved away. And she was shooting probably 35 weddings a year from May through October. You know, she was gone every Saturday, some Fridays, some Sundays as well. And uh, she also was the worship director here at Life Church Buffalo. And then we started a family. And because of the debt that we had, she never felt like she was able to walk away from any of it because we needed the income because we were enslaved to the lenders, to the creditors. Uh, but when we got to Columbus, our plan for uh, starting up her business didn't go according to plan. She participated in three or four different bridal shows to try and get her name out there and try to establish some business and get the word of mouth out there. And despite all of our efforts, she didn't book a single wedding. And so all of a sudden now we find ourselves in a new city um, where we had taken a huge step of faith. We almost, I was this close to not taking the job in Columbus because we didn't know if we'd be able to make it financially. But we were trusting in this other income that never came. And so now we found ourselves in this city where, on paper, our budget, we were $200 a month in the red. We had outgoing expenses that outweighed our incoming 
money by $200 a month. And so the year after we got there, um, you know, and, and speaking of like learning to tithe, like I said, that had always been part of my rhythm, but I'd always done that after I paid all my bills. I'd get paid, and I'd balance the checkbook and write all of my bills, and, you know, whatever was left, I would give 10%. And if I didn't have 10% left, I would just roll the balance over to the next week. And sometimes it took me two, three, maybe six weeks to catch up my tithe because I didn't have enough left over because I wasn't giving him the first 10 And so we sat in on this financial learning experience that was offered at the church I was on staff at, put on by a guy named Joe Sangal, who is very, very similar in his approach to finances as Dave Ramsey. He owns a company called I Was Broke, Now I'm Not, and uh, Enjoy Stewardship Solutions that used to be owned um, by, uh, who's the leadership uh, guru? John Maxwell. Yes, used to be John Maxwell's company. Joe Sangal bought it from him. And uh, he taught our church, the staff, the leadership, and anybody that, from the church that wanted to attend, you know, a very similar plan to Dave Ramsey's plan. You know, you're familiar, some of you, with the seven steps to financial freedom, seven baby steps. And so we started getting a plan for our personal finances. And, you know, it's, it's easy when you have enough to meet all your needs, to prioritize the tithe. It's a whole nother test of faith when you don't have enough to still put God first. With, with the tithe. And so we made a commitment. We started automating our tithe from that point forward where the first thing that came out of my, cha- my paycheck once it hit my account was my tithe. It came out, went right to the church, and we started prioritizing that. And there were months where we had to decide, okay, this month are we going to eat or are we going to pay the electric bill? And so there were some months where we had to live on, you know, mac and cheese or ramen noodles or, or hot dogs, something really cheap and re- really inexpensive. Um, but one of the cool stories of how God began to prove his faithfulness to us, you know, Pastor Lauren talked about the command and the invitation that God calls us to test him in this. And so we tested him, and I just want to give you, there's many examples, but one of the cool stories that God kind of came through for us was when in the spring of 2013, so we had moved in the fall of 2012, and um, in the spring of 2013, one of the ways we tried to figure out how to gain a few extra dollars to be able to make ends meet was to gather all of our jewelry and take it to one of those we buy gold places. We just needed some extra cash. And so anything that wasn't a wedding ring or a keepsake or heirloom, we collected. We went through, you know, her jewelry box, stuff that her mom had given her and stuff that she had bought over the years, stuff that I had bought for her. We took to this shop, you know, it says we buy gold, and we wound up with $270 in cash. So we're like, woohoo, we got some extra money this month. What are we going to use it on? And so on our way home, we're like, hey, we can go out to dinner today. And so we splurged and went to Taco Bell. Spent $16.83 at Taco Bell to buy dinner for the family. And then we went to Walmart on the way home to buy groceries. Now, we had already budgeted. We had money set aside for groceries. And when we got out of Walmart and got to our van, we saw a flat tire. It was flat, flat. Uh, like sitting on the ground on the rim. And so we take it to the shop and we find out that the TPMS, the tire pressure monitoring sensor on the valve stem had completely disintegrated and corroded to where the valve stem pushed right through into the tire. And uh, he said, so it'll cost this much to fix it. But he's like, I just want to tell you that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when all three of your other tires have the same corrosion on it. They're all cracked, and it's just a matter of time before they're all going to do the same thing. So you could either fix one now and the rest later, or I could replace all four of them for you right now. And so 
after discussing it with my wife, I'm like, well, we, we just got that money from the gold that we sold, so let's just have them go ahead and do it so we don't have to worry about it later. The bill for that repair came to $253.13. And it wasn't until I got home that I realized when I added up the $16.83 at Taco Bell and the $253.13 for the repair, that it came to $269.96. Four cents shy of the $270 that we had just gotten. God knew what we needed and provided the resource for it before we actually had the need. That's how God proves himself faithful to us. Later on that year, a few months later, we got a call from this couple in the church that we really respected and admired, but it was a little bit of a surprising call because this was a couple that we looked up to and respected. They were older, established in the faith, very successful, and she calls me and says, Pastor Pete, um, my husband and I would like to schedule a meeting with you and Miss Kelly because we, we need some counsel on some things. And I was a little bit you know, surprised by that because these were people that we would have gone to for counsel if Kelly and I needed something, and they're coming to us for counsel. And so we agreed to meet with them. We met them uh, at 7.30 in the morning on a Friday at Bob Evans. And after a little bit of chit-chat, I'm going to conceal their names for the sake of, um, you know, protecting their privacy. They asked to remain anonymous on this. So we'll just call them Tom and Jerry. All right, so Jerry starts talking, and she says, you know, um, because uh, after a, few, a little bit of small talk, I just said, so what's going on, guys? Like, what do you need counsel with? She's like, well, first of all, we need to apologize for being a little bit less than forthright with you for the reason we wanted to meet with you today because we don't really need any counsel. I'll let my husband share with you why we asked to meet you here today. And so Tom starts talking and says, Pastor Pete, I don't know how else to say this other than to say that I feel like God told me we're supposed to pay your December mortgage payment. <laughs> And we would be disobedient if you didn't allow us to do that, so you have no choice but to allow us to do that. <laughs> and my wife and I started crying because we had been stressing out that month about trying to figure out how we were going to make it down to Florida to see her family for the holidays. We try to get down there once a year after Christmas, and we didn't have the money for it. If we wanted to go down, we were going to have to charge it and go into debt for it, and we didn't want to do that. And so he asked, you know, I just need to know how much your mortgage payment is, and I'll write you a check right now. And I, I tried to resist. I tried to tell him, no, like God's taking care of us. He's like, look, you don't understand. I have to do this, or otherwise I'm going to be disobedient. God told me to do this. And so I told him my mortgage payment was $993, and he goes, I'll just make it an even thousand. And he wrote the check on the spot, handed it to my wife and I, and the money that Kelly and I would have used to spend on our mortgage payment that month went towards purchasing plane tickets so that we could go see her family. God proves himself faithful. When you stick to a plan, when you do your part, God does his part. Later that year, I would get a raise that would be in the exact amount of the shortage that we had every single month. God continued. There were so many other stories that I was thinking of that I could share with you, and maybe I'll share them with you at another point, but I just wanted to show my own personal journey with this, that it takes faith, but when you honor God, he takes care of your kingdom. And that's what I want you to experience. I want you to experience financial freedom. I'm going to leave you with one final verse today. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke 
of slavery. The borrower is slave to the lender. But Paul is encouraging Christians to stand firm and not let ourselves be burdened by the yoke of slavery. Because Christ died to set us free. And the word for freedom there is not just a spiritual freedom from the results of our sin. This is total freedom. God wants us to experience abundant life in every area of our life. Physical, spiritual, emotional, and yes, even financial. God wants you to experience freedom. And so as a church, what I want to leave you with today, our heart for you is that we don't want something from you. We want something for you. We want you to experience the abundant life that is only available to you in Jesus Christ. So take a step today towards financial freedom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your presence here today. We pray even right now for those that we prayed for earlier in the service during worship. God, we know that your, your spirit is here, your presence is here, your power is here to heal, to set free, to deliver. And so God, those that were believing for a miracle, God, we just seal that thing right now in the name of Jesus. God, we pray for testimonies to come forth from what you did in people's lives today September 17th, 2017 at Life Church Buffalo, where you moved mountains and where you did miracles in people's lives. But God, when it comes to this, this teaching of financial freedom, Lord, I pray that you would just remove any roadblock and barrier that people have had when it comes to being resistant towards hearing truth from your word in the pulpit in churches. Lord, I pray that you would help people to understand our heart in this is not to manipulate, is not to coerce people into giving money. We just want them to experience the abundance of your blessings from positioning themselves in a way that they can receive the outpouring of your abundance that flows into our lives. So God, I just pray that you would give every single person here today the courage to take a step regardless of where they're at in their journey of faith, regardless of what their financial situation looks like, God. I pray for the courage to take a step to trust in you and ask for help to implement a plan so that they can move towards financial freedom. God, we know that you want to do this for us so that we can partner with you in managing your resources that you've entrusted to us to advance your kingdom initiatives, to advance the mission, to be a part of your story here on the earth today, to make our lives count for eternity. God, we love you so much. We trust you. And I pray that you would allow us as a church, corporately and collectively, to help each other move towards all that you have for us. It's in the powerful and matchless name of Jesus Christ we pray. And all of God's people said, amen.